1: Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts.
0: Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This is Everything Is Black and White podcast brought to you by Chronicle Live and sponsored by Hodgson Motor Group, bringing you the latest insight into everything to do with Newcastle United. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, or most podcast providers. Hello, and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. I'm Ed Musgrove, joined by our Chief sports writer Lee Ryder. And our special guest this week is the Mirrors, Simon Bird. Um, Lee, you had the week off last week, deserved break. You then went down to London against Arsenal, you're probably fearing the worst, get to half time, and you would have been quite happy with how it was after that first 45 minutes and then what came next absolute nightmare and perhaps what we would have expected from a manager a couple of seasons back yeah I mean to be honest I was
3: probably a bit more optimistic going down the game because they'd had the break the much you know talked about break um, they'd got the batteries sort of recharged and I thought that you know they would make a decent fist of it at Arsenal and they did in the first half but the second half was just a total capitulation um you can almost forgive them for losing the game a bit of the manner they lost it in and it was uh, so poor the way they especially the last two goals where people aren't tracking back you know the positions can be questioned defenders facing their own goal and just general uh, they looked like a team for me who had the flip-flops on so the end of the season rather than coming back after a fresh break, uh, there's no excuse for like players who've just come off the bench not not being able to track back and keep up with play and stuff like that. And yeah, I know it's easy from up in the press box, but you know, it wasn't just the press that were having a go at Newcastle on this one, the supporters were furious with the, the manner of the defeat. And you can see why, you know, the Newcastle fans I mean, I don't want to harp on, but Newcastle fans they work hard all week. They t- they pay a lot of money to go down these away games, and then they see the team not trying in the last ten minutes of the game, and it's just not acceptable. That's what was annoyed about, regardless of losing the game. Um, even though it was a game they probably should have got something out of, because this is one of the worst Arsenal sides I've seen down the years. I don't know about you, but uh, they're pretty uh, pretty average to to say the least. And you know Newcastle just d- didn't cover themselves in glory. And again, it now feels like. It's always the same with Newcastle, it now feels like things are on the brink of collapse again.
2: Mm. By a couple of seasons ago, I was referring to McLaren, not Rafa Benitez. So please don't write in, Birdie. There, Lee does mention about this not being the greatest Arsenal side. Um, from the top of my head, I think I was saying to you just before mm-hmm. nine goals or eight goals scored in the nine games I t- had taken charge of had only beaten Manchester United, had been held by Burnley, Bournemouth, and Sheffield United, and Crystal Palace, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. So. Mm-hmm. The teams around them, uh, taking out Sheffield United there, holding Arsenal, um, and yeah. Newcastle just couldn't do it.
4: In general circumstances, and the history of Arsenal, you'd expect like a 2-0 defeat to be par for the course for Newcastle, sadly, um, at, at Arsenal. But given this context of this season, you went into the game, Newcastle level points with Arsenal. They're not the greatest side, as you say. There's a bit dysfunctional. And you did think that maybe they could, with a bit of resistance and a bit of passion and effort, could get a draw out of it maybe and score a goal and see how that but but i mean in the first half most pundits were fairly analyzing it were fairly positive about newcastle's performance bruce said himself he thought footballing wise they were they were decent and it was some of the best stuff they'd played um given the the circumstances of the game um but second half was ragged um really poor uh, 4-0 was probably a bit harsh but yeah, it looked like there was a bit, a bit of giving up um, about the performance, and that was kind of unusual for Newcastle because in the past few seasons, fans have hung them, hung their hat on Newcastle being really full of resistance, always in a game, even in keeping it tight, uh, and that that had gone. And I think that's one of the kind of worries at the back of Newcastle fans' heads at the minute is that, is that resistance which has been built up over two or three years under Rafa. Can't keep mentioning him, I know, but there is a style of play there which kept Newcastle in the game. Is that kind of slackening now? Are they conceding too many goals? They are. They're conceding more than they did last year. Um, and so that's the concerns I think which Newcastle fans have about that
2: performance. Lee, what happened, do you think, in the dressing room at half the time? Because that's the question many people are asking. How you can go from a, a decent uh, or more than decent first half performance and being well within the game, obviously uh, hit the post and there's a chance for. Joe Linton, um, you know, arguably could have been in front. So then coming out in that second half, you score two, you concede two goals in quick uh, succession, and then you just collapse. I mean, what was it? Was it Arsenal just clicked in that second half? Or Well, I had the actual
3: sort of luxury of a quick conversation with a member of the backroom team at half time, one of the, the technical sort of staff, and they were saying, first half, you know, we're going to be disappointed if we don't get a win out of this game that's mm-hmm. that's you know how bad Arsenal had been really and how good Newcastle had been to the credit obviously they didn't have the goal but they'd, they'd done everything they went about the business fine um, whatever was said to them though must have gone in one ear and out the other um, you know at half time and I had a conversation with a colleague in the press room at half time and I said this is probably going to be a, about what was said in the Arsenal dressing room more than anything else, because they're going to find out if you know Mikel Arteta is a shouter or not here, because he can't be happy with that. Um, if he's going to try and drum things into the players, talking about you know technical and tactical aspects of it, and they switch off, then this could be Newcastle's game for the taking. But if he has a bit of a rant um, and you know says a few home truths, then and gives them a bit of a shake up. Then it's going to be potential trouble for Newcastle, and sadly, it was the latter. And Arteta obviously made his feelings known, um, and Newcastle emerged a different team in the second half. And Arsenal, you know, stepped up the the gears because, let's be honest, they've got some great great players on the pitch. But I, I just think Newcastle's chance by then to get something out the game had pretty much gone.
2: Let's talk about some of the changes that were made. <clears throat> uh, Lazaro started, Danny Rose started, which meant. That Matt Ritchie dropped out, Yedlin dropped out. For me, the big one is Matt Ritchie. For me, he's the, yeah. he's the life of that team. He has sets a standard which no one has allowed to uh, to fall below. It's just a standard he sets himself, and without him, I yeah. just think Newcastle are lacking something. Yeah, that was a that's a massive call by
4: by Steve Bruce. Um, obviously, you bring Danny Rose in, and you get the player, and you you would think Steve Bruce is making promises to Danny Rose to say you're on loan for three months here, come and enjoy it, and come and play. So that promise has been, I presume, made to Danny Rose. So he plays him, but the difficult decision is that you're dropping Matt Ritchie, who is the competitive lifeblood we've written for the last couple of years about his attitude when he's on the pitch, and we can see him on the left side from the press box in the first half, usually he is yelling at everyone and organising and demanding better. And, um, and take that out of the team, maybe it goes a bit quiet or, or standards can slip, and he's, Ritchie might not be the best player all-round player for left wing back but he certainly does he's done a very good job and he's unlucky to lose it and he's one of those players that you can imagine who, who gets taken out the team and he wouldn't so much go knocking on Steve Bruce's door, he'd, he'd walk straight through it and say what, what the hell's going on with my position here. Um, so I, I think the only way Matt Ritchie will react to it is by you know working even harder in training, demanding more, trying to be even better um, and by the end of the season, proving himself to be the best left wing back at the club. Um, whether Steve Bruce has got another option there and can bring him into midfield to add a bit of tenacity there, you know. But this is the this is the problem when he when this is the decision the decision that a manager's got to make when he brings new players in. You know, you clearly want to start. You want to give Lazaro a chance. Um, but Yedlin is 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 okay, he, and he's really quick and he can create chances. He can get into positions where he can deliver crosses, but his crosses aren't sometimes on the mark. Um, Lazaro has got to to know that his position in the team in in this loan loan spell isn't guaranteed and Yedlin will be pushing him so there's good competition um, and Bruce has got to try these guys and it's up to Danny Rose and Lazaro to prove that they are better than what Newcastle have got they might not be but that's the decision which
2: fans debate and is in the mix In the press conference on Friday before the game Steve Bruce was asked about playing Matt Ritchie in a more advanced role he said Yes, that's his his kind of natural position. But Lee, you look at the options then, it's quite clear that Steve Bruce's first choice is that front three of Almiron, Joel Linton and Alan St-Maxman. So you're then looking at it and thinking, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to drop Almiron? Are you going to drop one of the centre midfielders? I mean, how does Matt Ritchie fit into a more advanced role?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Um, You know, he probably his best position in the last couple of years has has been as a left left wing back and you, you can't drop Danny Rose now um he's, he obviously would have needed some persuasion to come here i know he said that he you know was desperate to come here uh, in all of his interviews but he still would have needed some assurances and one of those assurances would have been to play every single game every single minute um get himself back on the on the map for england so it's a real it's a dilemma now um, for Steve Bruce, because that influence it needs to be on the pitch, and uh, there's no one else like Matt Ritchie, so it's a it's a big problem for Steve Bruce going forward.
2: And with Lazaro, obviously his first full debut, and he, he played quite well in the first half, yeah. but then was at fault. You could argue for at least one of the goals in the second half. Unbelievable
3: uh, that you can play that well and in then the first half and then fall the pieces.
2: Quite the introduction to Premier League
3: football for him. Totally, but. British- shows that you can't take anything for granted you know. one minute you're one minute you're the main player and you've got the most touch on the ball, next minute you're getting nutmegged and turned inside out and coming out in the mix zone and having to do a public apology it was just an unbelievable uh, few hours for him and to be fair to him he, he was one of the few that fronted up um, after the game and he wasn't really told you have to apologise, it was What's your message for the fan? And he's took it upon himself. So he's obviously an honest, honest enough guy. Um, but I'm sure we'll see better from him uh, going forward. It's just ha- how how Steve Bruce uses him um, to the best of his ability.
2: Well, we're on January arrivals. Obviously, never been to that. He is a player that Steve Bruce clearly likes. Alex Bruce spoke uh, today that he's the one man who's kind of really impressed his father, um, in training but he still looks a bit off the pace it's understandable he hasn't had first team Mm -hmm. football in in, in a long while some nice touches here and there but it it means Isaac Hayden Mm -hmm. and and John Joe Shelby now have a a kind of question mark over whether they get into the first team which many people would argue still should be Newcastle's first team pairing when fit
4: Yeah well the problem you you probably get when you sign loan players who haven't been playing you get them because they haven't been playing at their club therefore they're lacking a bit of fitness and it's kind of early August for those guys if you're looking for an equivalent fitness level Um, and it's going to take them a few games to get going Bentaleb when he's been on he's been quite strong in the tackle Um, he kind of gets around the pitch but not quite as well as Hayden and he can pick a nice pass but not quite as well as John Joe Shelby so he's sort of an amalgamation of the two so you, you've got Hayden with his incredible running power and he's all over the pitch and he works so hard. You've got Shelby when he's fit, um, who can really pick a pass and switch play quickly, which open team, opens teams up. And he's got a bigger range of passing than Bentaleb. Um, But maybe we'll see Benteleb develop that when he, come, when, he, when he plays a bit more. He certainly ticks play around, around nicely, but so does Longstaff and so does Hayden. So there's a bit of a, a mishmash in the middle of midfield there, whereby... You'd like to see Bent Levin be strong in the tackle, get around the pitch really well, and then really start putting, putting some killer passes in as well. That's probably what, what he'd be aiming
2: for in the next few days to uh, games to impress. And just going on to the goals that Arsenal scored, that defence has been so strong for so long. We wasn't that long ago that we were kind of flying the flags about the options they've got and the good performances and how you're going to have at least two defenders who could be in that start 11 on the bench. But the second half just... It wasn't the defence we were used to. Fernandez was at fault. Who's been rock solid. Um, obviously, Keane Clark was off late on with an injury. What happened there? Just a lack of concentration and just the the tools were down because they were deflated.
3: Uh, hard to say without actually getting in the head of the players and actually, you know, asking them a few questions about about it. But my my opinion from the stands was a little bit of complacency the the first half. They obviously got a little bit too drunk on the success they were having um, in terms of, you know, absorbing and then hitting them on the break and, and creating, you know, some decent openings, really. I mean, they should have been ahead. St Maximum trickled the ball right across the six-yard box and Joe Linton didn't, didn't even make the run, which I'm now led to believe was because he felt a knock somewhere else and he didn't make cause it. was just so natural for a number nine not to make that run in the box, but... I was told he'd suffered a knock, so I can only take that with the best of intentions. But um, yeah, for me, after the break, maybe just a little bit overconfidence um, set in. And th- when when you play teams like Arsenal, they've got that quality to, they can like bang two goals in, in three minutes. And then all of a sudden it's a completely different game. You're chasing. And then after that, uh, they, they couldn't find the, find the goal really. It would never, it never really seemed like it was going to be in Everton where even the Everton game never felt like it was going to end up like that. By the way, when it was two 0 with ninety-three minutes on the clock, but there was never—I um, just got the sense that there was never going to be a comeback of, of those proportions again. And you know, four 0 I'm pleased it's the final word that we're we're talking about this one now because <laughs> it's it's been it's been pretty depressing, hasn't it? So mm. on, on to the next one, but it's a tricky one, not very. Not a very glamorous place to go, Crystal Palace, you know, compared to other Premier League venues. And what not not a place to go to get beat, to put it that way, because I think the fans will they'll have their say if it, if there's another if there's another weak performance, I don't think the fans will hold back this time.
2: We're gonna get on to Joe Linton, as we do every week. We're gonna to have to create some sort of a jingle and, and a separate jingle for when he eventually does score. Um, but before we do, I just want to ask you about Steve Bruce and his press comments after. Ties in a bit with Joe Linton. He was shocked when a journalist told him about the amount of touches Joe Linton had in the opposition box. Um, Like Birdie mentioned before, he said he was quite happy with the first-half performance. And then he mentions back to basics. And this is something that really winds me up because we've heard this several times. And is it a case that they'll go back to basics this week and then it'll be all right for a couple of weeks and then in a couple of weeks' time we'll see another performance where Steve Bruce will come out and say, we've got to get back to basics because my question is you can only say it so many times before someone asks the question well are you actually getting back to basics because it doesn't seem to be actually working
3: Um, I mean in terms of Joe Linton the basics you know are just getting in the box getting to the front post getting to the back post connecting with crosses all the things that are sort of bread and butter for a centre forward that he's just not doing he hasn't got the confidence we had a player Last season, Joselu um, had similar problems. couldn't Couldn't develop any confidence. Was getting hammered in 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 the in the press and all that sort of stuff. And he's gone over to Spain to to a, a, a club where there's there's less intensity and less attention. And he he has got back to basics. He's got. I think he's pushing for double figures now in in La Liga. So that just shows you that you know it can be sometimes the Environment that a player has dropped into, and Joe Linton is coming into an area where there's a lot of expectation.
4: <coughs> you could, I mean, you, you, in Joe Linton's favour, yeah, he's in, a, he's in a team that doesn't create a lot of chances, but that's the only excuse you can grant him. I think some of the work he does outside, outside the box and kind of around the, uh, around the halfway line, where he's putting himself about and he's laying the ball off, that's perfectly decent. He's okay. He's, he is a target man and he's an option, but he, they're just the, the exasperating thing now is that 22 games into his Premier League goal drought, he still looks flat-footed yeah. in the box. There's, he's not anticipating where the ball's going to go. He's not reacting where it might go. He's not speculating on runs. And I think that's his fault, but that's got to be, at some point, Steve Bruce and the coaching staff's fault, where you know a, a player needs to know what a manager where, where a manager wants him to run where when a ball's coming at the box, and consistently to know... If Matt Ritchie is living, Danny Rose from the left, you're going to go at the front post and you're going to try and get on the end of it, or vice versa. But he's not there, and he's not making the runs, and it's frustrating where he's he's not even in the box, or he's he's just flat-footed on the on the penalty penalty area, and he doesn't he doesn't make the run, and he therefore he's not in. And I mean, only see him do it once, and that was when he put a header over in the last home game, um, and he should have scored the header, and he, he just doesn't get on the end of crosses otherwise.
2: When Steve Bruce says. It's not his natural position. He's played out on the, on the, on the left or out wide for his previous club. That, that's just a confusing kind of... Because he's admitting that he's using him in the wrong position. And yes, he hasn't got yeah. any other options. So then we go full circle back to the to the hierarchy. And we say, well, if this is Steve Bruce's analysis of Joe Linton, he's, he's pretty much admitting he's playing him out of position. A, what? why have you brought him in as a, a centre-forward... And B, why haven't you gone out in January and signed somebody? Well, I, th- I think he is equipped. Look at the size of him, right? He can sprint. He's big
4: and strong. The, he's not like Alan Shearer, who when the ball used to stick, and I think the, the club noticed it uh, in pre-season that the, the ball didn't quite stick to him enough as it should. But I think he's kind of developed that, and he, he lays it off okay now when he's when he gets a touch outside the box. So he is equipped to play centre forward. He's not. He doesn't look like a winger. He looks like a proper number nine. He's built like a proper number nine. He's massive. So he should be able to. In 22 games, learn how to play like a number nine, and also these days you don't necessarily want an Andy Carroll st- style number nine to be the totem pole up front. You need a mobile number nine, and he certainly is mobile. He can he can he can run. So it's just a case of like making sure he knows what runs are expected of him and how to get on the end of a cross. And now that's that's a natural thing for some strikers. You know when we used to watch Shearer for 10 years when he carried the club. He would just naturally be jumping at that point as high as he could where the ball landed from across. Some people can do it with their, their radar. Some strikers can't, and it doesn't look like Joe didn't count them. It.
3: You need support, doesn't he? I mean, if you yeah. you can go back to, um, when Andy Cole at the club, and Newcastle were going in the Premier League, and Kevin Keegan took Andy Cole one side and said, "I've just signed a player, and it's a player just for you to bring out the best in you." Yeah. And it was Pierre Beardsley, mm-hmm. and Pierre Beardsley. <coughs> You know, was such an unselfish player to have in the team and would put put goals on a plate yeah. for Andy Cole and, you know, a lot of other players as well. And they had, they had Scott Sellers in that team as well. I know this is a, a, a much more superior Newcastle team, yeah. but the philosophy is right. You need to have people supporting your number nine. I mean, looking back now, you could probably say Newcastle regret giving Julian the number nine shirt, but it, it, it's a shirt that carries so much weight. So much expectation, you're carrying the hopes of the supporters, and it's a lot to ask for for a young man to come here, come to a different country, different league, and suddenly, you know, I mean, Steve Bruce said it himself. when he says we expected 12 to 15 goals. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's a big ask, even in the Premier League yeah, for today for for 12 goals. I mean, going back to Andy Cole, I mean, got 41 in his first uh, top flight sort of season, but. These days, you'll not get players hitting forty plus. Has he?
2: So, has he actually had 15, 16 No, chances? Never, never, No, he has definitely hasn't had that. And many is chances. that is that because of age? Not in the box for half of them, but B because they're not actually they're not actually they're there not getting they're
4: not getting creative for him. And I think that, and this is where you can, you you need to look not just at Joe Linton but at Sam Maxim and Almiron. So you um, you've got Sam Maxim who is full of tricks, loads of pace, but there's that, that famous video from. Um, from training in, back in the summer Where he's doing his usual run down the left Beating people, cutting inside And Bruce is shouting, pass it, pass it, pass it Expecting a ball to be slipped in But he doesn't pass it and he crashes it in the top corner Which is brilliant when he does it And he did it at Oxford Fantastic, eye-catching, everyone talks about him when he's done it But he can't do that every time Down the left, cut inside At some point he's got to vary it And have Joel Linton making a run, slipping a ball in or, or doing something clever as an end product that's such so Sam maxim. Right. Same with Almiron. It's, it's a nightmare, isn't it? I
3: mean, Alan Shearer famously fell out with Ginola over you know he wanted someone down the line. He wanted the cross going, and he wanted to know where, which post he was heading to. Um, Ginola used to do that thing, similar to Maxman, yeah. checking inside. Shearer's already made his run, and he's surrounded by defenders. So it, it's a bit the, the the telepathy needs to be mm. there. I, I do feel sorry for Julian. I don't think he's as bad a player as he's being made well, to look like. He's well, it definitely he's got, a player there he's got there, the skills think, you know he wins so many headers in the air it's just the, the important part which is the goal scoring bit and he needs more support but
2: it's interesting you mentioned there St Maxim because against Rochdale mm-hmm. there was Julian had the ball in the back of the net and and it was ruled offside simply because St Maxim held the ball for too long yeah, yeah. I do think that's St Maximum because he's so exciting and he is a player that gets you off your seat Yeah, and for instance that goal against Oxford it kind of shared what in my opinion was a poor performance, yeah. where he again he held on the ball for too long, didn't have the end product. Yeah. He scores the winner. Beautiful yeah. goal. Everyone forgets. It would be great to see an un-
4: unselfish side yeah. to to Sam Maxim uh, in the next few games where he's looking to help his teammate out. And and I'm sure he is. I'm sure he's you know deliberately doing it, but he can't be the you know the eye catching match winner with every cutback and dribble he does. He's got to think, I can put a teammate in here, I can release it quicker, and maybe he can get it back in a, in a better position. Hmm. It's
3: fine. If it, you know, once you get into a good position in the game, you give yourself a platform, you get a good lead, then then roll as many tricks out as you want. Yeah. And the crowd will lap it up at St. James, but at the minute, they need results. And it's it's starting to become a bit of a worry.
2: And back to basics defensively, because I assume that's what Steve Bruce meant in his press comments, that the mistakes that cost Newcastle them goals and that setting off need to be cut out.
3: I mean, big blow, Kieran Clark being out because mm-hmm. he's probably, you know, been one of the best defenders, hasn't mm-hmm. he? So, it, it, who's going to go? Sure, has got a lot to prove. If he if he gets a nod at Crystal Palace, we need to see him at his very best, not the player jogging back, um, who's yet to break into a sweat like he had on um, Sunday. So.
4: It's really interesting about the defence because it it, it gets it stems to what Steve Bruce can and can't do with Newcastle's team. So he is playing five at the back, three centre-backs, because he doesn't feel he's got the pace at the back just to play two. So Lascelles has got the pace at the back to cover everyone, but he hasn't got the touch on the ball that Shaw and Fernandes and Lejeune have. Um, so he's playing three at the back, and we talk about um, needing what Newcastle need in the summer. I would think that Steve Bruce would be apt Hopefully, trying to sign. Um, even though the the problem is they've got six centre halves and six half decent centre halves at the minute. Um, but you would probably want to get rid of two or three of them, or or a couple of them at least, and then bring in a centre half with pace and who's decent on the ball to play alongside Lascelles, um, which might make him be able to play four at the back, uh, and then release something a little bit more in the midfield or up front. Um, and so that so that that move in the summer, if he if he's going to try and get a good centre half who has lots of qualities not just pace or on the ball um, is kind of defining how Newcastle can play next season and how Steve Bruce can evolve and at the minute the back to basics thing where you talk about banking up four, five 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 at the back and four in front um, which has got them results in, in the past it's kind of getting a bit slacker and it's not as strong as it used to be um, but the defence is a, is a big issue Even though we talk about the attack all the time and not scoring goals and Joe Linton and Sam Maxim, um, it kind of gets to the core of what Steve Bruce will have to evolve this side into in terms of signing a real top quality, a lot of money, spending a lot of money on a top centre half to make that change elsewhere in
2: the formation. We hope you've enjoyed this episode so far. It's sponsored by Hodgson Motor Group, the Northeast number one family-owned Toyota, Mazda and Suzuki dealership group. Please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast through wherever you get your podcasts from.
0: This is Acast recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows and this is one we think you're going to love.
1: Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd and I recently had a baby with Ed Millerband, a baby podcast that is. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts.
0: Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: We mentioned there the lack of options up front. Um, A lot of questions over Tom Allen, under-23, scored... And over the last week as well. Is he ready for a first-team opportunity? Could he be applying that attack and maybe number 10 role and that look to help? Joe Linton?
3: It's still quite early for me. I think certainly a player <clears throat> you'd have in and around the squad and someone on the bench to maybe come on and build up his experience gradually, but to throw him in now, I, I, I wouldn't see Steve Bruce doing it because the senior players will get the priority once they're back. Andy Carroll, Dwight Gale, uh, Muto—they'll all—they'll all get their chance ahead of him. So and, and
4: Sean Longstaff can play at number ten as he proved can, at Oxford. Yeah, so we can, can advance him a bit more. So he's in the mix as well for that. Yeah. Well,
2: well, that's the next question? Actually, I was going to ask you about mm. Sean Longstaff, and he obviously played well against uh, Oxford. And Steve Bruce again in the press conference said, "Yes, I'd, I'd, I'd like to play that way, but can't we really do it in the Premier League at the moment?" Yeah. Um, but surely. The time to try it in the Premier League is against the likes of Norwich or even a Berlin teams that are down. Then yeah. they're not going to hit you as hard. You tried it against Leicester and it was found out pretty, yeah. pretty quickly. Um, yeah. Do you think it's 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 time that he starts just making them little tweaks against the sides around him, or is it is it, are the, is it too too I dangerous, too, too much of a gamble?
4: Thirty-one points, still in a little bit of trouble, can get sucked into trouble. I don't think you you start experimenting too much. I think you got a you got a system which. Quite often works and pulls a result out that you need. Um, I think when you get the 37 40 points, you can start going. Okay, well, we'll maybe try and tweak this a little bit. If you think you're safe in the in the league, and then you can experiment. In those some good home games coming up to be able to do that, um, but not now. I, th- I think you just go try
2: and test. And say, well, what's the point of well, why? Why is he telling people that he'd like to play in a different role? Then do you think because a lot of people then just say well. A, rather than kind of having a go at the players, which you haven't really got the the, the, the players to do that, um, and B, people are going, well, why not give it a go? Why not try it against an Norwich or a, a team around him?
4: Well, he, he might get to a point where he does, and he, he'll get fed, fed up with the performances or the contributions of certain players and just fit it, fit a team in around who he wants to play. But uh, I don't think he'll be doing that till the summer. I think the summer's a big test for him in terms of he'll be here. He'll have be been at Newcastle for a year, um, and he talks about every week evolving this style. Um, and if you can get two or three in, four in even at the summer and spend 60, 70 million, then that's a big test for, for Steve Bruce um, to change Newcastle and make it a little make it a lot more attractive. You know, score a lot more goals and be proper contenders in those 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth positions.
2: Is that a role that would ch- suit Sean? Uh,
3: yeah, I mean, Newcastle looking more offensive in general for me would be, you know, I think that Steve Bruce would win a lot of people over um, we'll get a few more of the, turn a the, few more of the doubters into believers I think if he can ch- you know, gradually change the system, the reason he's not going to change it is because they're so close to securing uh, safety, they're only a couple of wins away really um, to making sure they're in the Premier League next season um, he's not going to take that risk at the moment while it's so close if you start changing it around and giving youngsters a chance now, it's just just won't happen you know because then if they go on a a really bad run it can it can damage you um you can you can ask John Carver that you know he he tried to tweak things a little bit with the limited resources he had by the way Mm -hmm. but he tried to change things um and he lost eight games in a row and Newcastle suddenly end up in a from a position of comfort into a relegation um season almost when they had to beat West Ham on the final day to stay up. So that's what can happen if you start
2: messing about too much. Yeah, definitely do not want that. Then just a couple more questions before we wrap up. Not going on a on a winter camp training camp, was that the right decision to make in hindsight? Uh that well, it,
4: this is only proven in the next few weeks. It is good that the players had a few days off. Um, I think you probably do need to get away from work colleagues who you've seen too much of, and they travel a lot and they've had a lot of away games and, um, and I, and I quite like seeing them go to Dubai and, and enjoy themselves and because four or five days off can really refresh you mm. and it does make you come back. Whether it makes whether you feel the benefit the next game and you're not quite switched on to the routine, um, is is yet to be it didn't happen that Arsenal did it so that they probably weren't switched on as, as they should be but it might benefit you in two or three weeks time where you get a, a good result however we've been to see Rafa and the training camp they were having every year for the last three years in March um, and the quality of the work that they were doing in Spain and the drilling they did and then the little friendly they had at the end of the week it looked properly intense and, mm. and looked like proper hard work that really every time set them up for a barnstorming finish so there is an argument of Getting them to get them away,
3: I, I agree with you on that. I think that it, it was a help in Spain. Yeah. I mean, we we were given unbelievable access, great, We great, yeah. right? Yeah. Right into you know, around the hotel. Um, you, you see what was going on. Um, on training, you gotta, you know, there was no restrictions. Like, if it's a Champions League game or a Europa League game, you only get to watch 15 minutes, and generally, the team just have a little bit of a warm up. But we got to watch the whole thing. It was mm-hmm. like you know nearly an hour and a half of watching drills and seeing the mood of the players and they didn't hold back they were t- telling each other what they thought so maybe that intensity is important um but they've got 13 games now to, to prove us wrong
4: um, and I hope I hope they do prove prove people wrong you know but at the end of the day also they're in the FA Cup fifth round this year which they the win for the last two years yeah. when they went, which is the when they went away this this think,
3: it's so. on we are approaching three totally defining games now. Palace need to get something Burnley need to win it mm-hmm. and get through against West Brom and suddenly this season is like you know a lot to be positive about yeah. if they get through against West Brom get a decent draw to James Park 90 minutes away from a Wembley semi-final
4: Yeah, unbelievable,
3: it, it? It, it could just change the whole mood at the minute we're all angry we've seen the result against Arsenal we've seen the way they lost but it's it, everything's Still to play for
4: you know it's it's, it's, it's all's, close. Not, all's it's,
3: not lost. Let's let's
4: yeah. give them the benefit of the doubt at the minute. It's close to being decent. I mean, it's close to being a decent season. If you get final, home draw, even if, even against a decent side, you, you know it's in James's Park. You could uh, you could give it a bash. The crowd would be going mad. Well, they've um, beaten good sides, haven't they? Yeah, Park. and they've beaten good sides in James' Park. You beat anyone at in James's Park, um, and and then the league, you know, you, you suddenly get the fifth round, and you're pretty much safe in the league, and others drop off, and you, you're beating your rivals when they come to come up here so it, it's, you're right it's just so knife edge you know it it could go like
2: that very quickly and everyone could be fuming in a, in a month in three weeks Bruce is in a difficult position doesn't he because that shadow of Rafa Benitez is always going to be hanging over mm-hmm. um, so if Newcastle lose the next couple of games it's going to be well, well Benitez took him to a a warm weather training camp that's what should have happened and etc etc I, I do feel for for Steve because Whatever he does, it's always going to go back to oh well, Rafa did this. It's uh, oh, yeah. worth pointing out it's... Steve
3: McLaren took them to a warm weather training yes. camp as well, and, and that went well. <laughs> Look what happened
4: then. So, yeah, yeah. it's uh... no. I mean, after I th- you know, there's a lot of there's a bit of anti-Bruce feeling out there. There's people questioning him. They are not and he gets he's a lightning rod because he's the manager. He's the public face of the club um, for a lot of the stuff that goes off on above him and the, the ownership, etc. Um, but Bruce. I think he's handled it really well this year he he clearly loves being manager of Newcastle you can't doubt that it's a job he's wanted forever even though he still is very much associated with Man United that United he's a he's at our United now um, and I think he's handled it really well he, what people don't realise is that you know he's done 20 years in, in, in as a player he's done 20 years as a manager he's massively experienced and people still doubt his coaching credentials and I think at every Every club he goes to, and especially Newcastle, him and his team have got to prove those coaching credentials all over again. Um, and I think that that big test for that is in the summer. As for this season, keeping them up and having a cup run is good enough. And I think that that's stabilising from where it was when Rafa left at the end of June. Stabilising the club mid-table, not going down and having a cup run is good enough. What people don't realise about Steve Bruce is that his manner, when he comes into the press conference and there's a great... Um, sort of little clip which was released by PA this week Um, Steve Bruce saying he was asked how was the break and he was having a joke he said how's the bacon how's the bacon is that what you asked and it kind of fit. but that's that's Steve Bruce's humour he didn't really hear it as bacon he's giving us a laugh at the start of his press he's lightening the mood and people people are reacting to that going oh come on you know what's he on but it's Steve Bruce's humour he's a he's a really He's a, he's one of the most human and I've said this when he's at Sutherland as well. He's one of the most human guys that you'll meet in football. I genuinely think he's like if any fan met him and had a pint with him, he would he mm. would talk to them, he'd, he would draw them out, ask them about their lives. He's one of those guys and I think that doesn't come isn't appreciated. It doesn't come across in maybe the coverage we give and the coverage the TVs give that he is he's he's one he's been around so long. I think that people don't appreciate that that's, yeah, that's, you've that's got what sort of human being Yeah,
3: is. you've got to respect them. And I I've seen some of the things people are saying on Twitter and I know you shouldn't read too much what gets said on social media, um, you know, mental health awareness, all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But I think this notion that Steve Bruce is like taking the press to the pub every week yeah. and keeping everybody sweet and keeping everyone on side, it's just not true. I think no. there's been a couple of times where there's been
4: arguments between mm-hmm. the manager there's been, there's and been proper ding
0: dong press yeah. in the last few weeks there's been yeah. proper
4: ding dong press conferences with people question asking all the questions the fans want. They are put. You know, are you coaching them? Are you improving them? Um, are you the man for this job? Why aren't you, why not you playing this player They are those questions are asked every week by yeah. you, by the National Lads, by by, by TVs probably as well. So you're you're right, the questions are put. And he's not getting a tame ride, but Steve Bruce, you have to say, is very honest in his answers. He's as honest as you know. Rafa Benitez was very good with the press and how he communicated. Steve Bruce does it in a in a in a kind of different way, um, and all on the record. And you know, he, he serves Newcastle well for for doing that.
3: Yeah, he does, and I think what you said there, and I think it's something the club should take steps to do. is You know, get him in front of a, a bigger audience, and you know. Let him have that kind of um, communication where mm-hmm. it's sat that around the kind of rapport, not, yeah. not get him on a big stage so people can hurl abuse at him. Not I'm not saying that. Mm-hmm. Get him in a sort of the facilities there at St. James's Park. Yeah. Get him around a table with a few supporters. Have a sensible conversation. You know, maybe just let the fans have a pint and, and yeah. stuff like that. And yeah. I've seen it done with other managers. Uh, Glenn Roder done it when when he came in and he wasn't listen There was a lot of people didn't want him as manager and. He did alright, he got them into Europe, but he, what he did was, was quite clever. He went round a lot of the pubs and clubs, um, I mean it's probably almost a different era we're talking about mm-hmm. now, but that's what he'd done, he went round, had a pint with the fans and he got people you know, onside a bit and got them behind the team going into, I think they won 6 of the last 7 games, got into Europe, finished 7th. Mm-hmm. Seventh might get Newcastle at the season. I think a
4: long, a long form format like this would be good for Steve Bruce oh, sitting yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. More than off, welcome on our podcast. Come, come a, a bit more detail, a bit more of his own personality coming across, and that, that I think fans fans would enjoy that and be informed about who he is. Yeah. Rather than not just our press. And maybe well.
3: maybe it is. It's it's younger fans as well because like yeah. a lot of, you know you go to Wall's End now and you talk with people of a certain generation, they think Steve Bruce is a big hero in, yeah. in those parts you know he's a local lad done good went to Wolves End Boys Club I mean I went down to an event there um, in Walker Walker Activity Dome early in the season people wanting pictures with him people having a chat with him all that sort of stuff He's, you know he's, it's not his fault Newcastle didn't want to sign him as a player he went to Man United he won everything won everything <laughs> in terms of European competition very unlucky not to be capped we're talking about one of the best players of his generation here so you have to have respect for him mm, yeah
2: Um, well just before we get on to the final question which will be the dreaded word of takeover overreaction has there been an overreaction to what happened on Sunday
3: not for me I think the the reaction um, if it's about the manner of the performance if it's about the towel being thrown in and the capitulation towards the end the attitude of the players towards the end of the game I don't think that's an overreaction I think the, the players need to show the fans they're fighting even when you're getting beat and they let it slip a bit on
4: on Sunday. I think there's there's a there's a bit of overreaction for every Newcastle defeat, but it depends where you look for it. If you look for it on Twitter, emotional it goes ever. it goes it goes mental, doesn't it? And it might only be like 100 people overreacting, and there's, yeah. there's 50 other thousand in the in the stadium who. I mean, saying remove right. the manager,
3: that's an overreaction. Yeah, you
4: know, yeah. but yeah. but questioning the spirit at the end to keep the score low and stay in the game is probably yeah. not an overreaction to be discussed. That's about. Fair. Yeah. It's
2: fair. It's fair comment. Uh, Simon I think I know what you're going to say to this question but give me your thoughts on on a takeover it's so it's once again for
4: the fourth or fifth time it's kind of slid off the radar big flurry initially everyone excited everyone wondering what the hell's happened there's no communication people say it's still live but is it really I mean do you get do you take over now so you're ready for the end of the season look we're we're in the dark until someone puts up the money signs on the dotted line and Mike Ashley surprises us by a 6am or probably a 10pm announcement one day then I'm just going to carry on as if he's going to be manage- he's going to be owner um, and is his managing the club his philosophy of you know club managing itself not costing him any more money hopefully in the summer if he's still owner there's um, there's 70 million to spend to build the squad like they've said last year there was uh, and they were good good to their word then they actually spent a lot of money 85 million on, on strike force in the last year if they can keep in the Premier League and keep spending 80 million a year then Newcastle could build a decent squad and it can progress but we're at the very early stages of that 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 um, that financial philosophy at the minute and it remains to be seen whether they'll deliver that if Mike Ashley stays in charge which he probably will in Lee, just as, as it was well
3: l- last time I got asked about a takeover on a podcast uh, it sent social media into complete <laughs> meltdown yes
2: please listen to all the answers in context of you know, yeah. the situation
3: all, look all we've reported is that there was a discussion um, what was on the table was a proposition of we want to take over the club now Mike Ashley is now saying not on the record but people close to him Will tell you, Mike Ashley is saying that he still hasn't received a bid, so he wants he needs to see one that all the money is definitely there, all the money isn't in banks or tied up in hedge funds and things like that in different places. In different you know, places, that makes it complicated. He would that, and then after that, he wants to see ca- can the next, you know, would be owner, wannabe owner, can they then take the club on the next level? And, and that's the big test because. You're talking 200, 300 million on it's- top. Yeah,
4: my concern about the takeover is everyone gets excited. Ashley's gone brilliant. Are you questioning the next lot who come in? Now, if you've got 340 million to take over Newcastle, that's fine. But that's not going to move Newcastle on. 340 million to buy the club gets you a club run run pretty well with a tight financial ship with, like we just said, 70 million quid to spend with Premier League money every summer. Now, to buy Newcastle United and kick it on, you actually need more than 500 million. You need need 500, 550 million to be able to invest 200 million to bring to shock the squad into having double the recruitment in one summer, extra good players. Um, Because if the new owners have only got 340 million, if a new owner has only 340 million and then comes in and promises to spend 200 million, are they borrowing 200 million and charging it back at the club on interest? And then saddling the club with 200 million of debt for a massive one-off speculation, which, if it goes wrong, could ruin Newcastle Mm -hmm. for years, like Sunderland. um, Then that's not on. You know, a new owner needs 340 million in the bank to pay Mike Ashley, plus another 200 million of their own money to spend. Because if you end up borrowing 200 million, you are you are knackering the club's finances for years, right? Possibly irretrievably if that gamble doesn't work. And there's no guarantee that spending 200 million, ask Everton on a club, gets you anywhere near the top six. No, not really that good. is the problem with this takeover and the excitement about it. Come in with 500 million and do something of your own mm-hmm. money. Don't come in with 340 and borrow a load. And, and
3: any hedge fund as well. It's it, Anyone involved in a hedge fund, they're going in there, not with the Newcastle United's best interest at heart, mm-hmm. they're going in there with their own best interest at heart because they think they're going to make profit and get some of that money back. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, ha- it has to be the right person, really.
2: I think it's yeah. interesting Sir so Jim Ratcliffe said pretty much what you said there, Simon. Yeah. You're spending £500 million, million pounds yeah. to be part of the Everton Cup, essentially. Is yeah. He said yeah. something like that. Yeah. see the quotes on our website. So yeah, just a couple of questions then from our listeners. We've got one from Dean Woods um, who asks, are there any players you could see if Bruce has improved this season?
3: Oh, good question, actually, because really, it's been a team. He's He's kind of... Galvanised the team in a way from you know, the team were disappointed that Rafa Benitez had left, and he's basically tried to f- find a formula that has got them to 31 points. Basically, because let's be honest, whoever came in was gonna be f- hard act to follow in terms of Rafa Benitez, and I, I think he's it, a- he's maintained the team's position. I-, I wouldn't say there's any individuals that he's massively improved because. There's a lot of uh, reputations in there that are already, you know, quite proven.
2: tad one sent over email here from Ian Crow. He just asks Simon what is Newcastle's kind of end goal? What 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 is it? Is it survival and then pushing up the table slightly or is it what do you think it uh, is? This is the question that every team,
4: every club in the fans are asking, what what is the end goal these days where you've got six, four, five, six teams with triple the financial might of Newcastle United, sadly. Um, where can Newcastle go? This season, in the position they're in, um, like tenth would be would be good, really good. Ninth would be even better. That'd be a really positive season. Um but if you finish thirteenth and end up at Wembley in a cup semi final, that's also a dec- a really decent season, I think, you know? Mm. So it depends what happens in the FA Cup as as to how you balance it, but but surviving thirteenth and above in the league, okay, I'd accept that, and another couple of rounds in the cup.
3: Just a day out at Wembley for the fans, yeah. would would change, you know, the whole season and would give everyone something to build. I know people say you don't want to get to a semi final and lose, Well I, I I disagree with that because I think the fans would love to, you know, go to Wembley. Yeah, thirty thousand Geordies taking over would be a sight to behold. You know what I mean? It'd be really refreshing for the club and would maybe give them something to build on. And you, just, you just don't own the Cup, do you? You don't know what's going to happen. I mean, Newcastle, 20 years ago, got the semi-final, got beat, and it was the sort of foundations for
2: a couple of Champions League seasons, mm. you know, the, the years after that. So, who knows? Fingers crossed they can progress in the FA Cup. Well, Simon, thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure. Lee, thank you. As always, nice. uh, this has been Everything is Black and White podcast. Head over to Chronicle Live to keep up date with all the latest Newcastle United.